Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The wait is finally over. Football is back. Might not be be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. You know, I was you know looking at the board this past weekend in week two, and you know my Rams. You know, I was really iffy if they were going to pull it off against the Eagles, but you know, I said screw it, put a bunch of money on them money line, and guess what? They came out winners. So I was extremely happy to use Bet Online. For game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than at any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Okay, so what is going on, friends, family, people we know, people we don't know, people we'd like to get to know? Today's episode of Believe in Rutgers is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. And I would never bet against this person who we have coming on today. Rutgers alum, professional women's soccer player, Kenny Wright. She is just awesome. Ride, this was an amazing conversation. I think people are really going to get a lot out of this one. Yeah, Kenny is an awesome person. She was an absolute stud at Rutgers. Um, she's a great person. Uh, she actually just recently tore ACL and NWSL. So we talk about that with her. We talk about, you know, being a woman soccer player and how to, you know, grow the game over there. And it was an awesome conversation with her and she said some awesome things and, you know, I want to have her back on. You know, I think what impressed me the most about her was this is someone who came onto the show and talked about very uncomfortable subjects and was so open and honest about it. Like this was a week prior to her ACL surgery. Like that is not an easy time in someone's life who goes through an injury like that. And I think it just shows how strong of a person she is and how special her journey is going to continue to be. She's inspiring. It's really awesome. This Mount Laurel, New Jersey native went on to have a decorated career for the Rutgers women's soccer team. She was an all-region, all-Big Ten, as well as all-Big Ten freshman team selection. She's also an extraordinary teammate and leader, as she was a two-time captain and recipient of the Big Ten Sportsmanship Award. She currently plays professionally for Sky Blue FC. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Kenny Wright. With the second pick in the fourth round of the 2019 NWSL College Draft, Sky Blue FC select Kenny Wright from Rutgers University. Wright coming out of Rutgers. She's a Mount Laurel, New Jersey native. Lifted in by Wright. She comes in in clutch situations here. First goal wins. Here's Kenny Wright. Across into the box, looking for the far post. It's going to be looked good. That will be that from Bloomington. A walk-off goal on the cross from the left flank. She has a relentless work ethic. Kenny Wright intercepts, puts the Jets on. Still has possession, gets a shot. Oh, score! Right, line drives it. Dangerously in front and in! Kenny Wright from the corner. Rutgers is on to their first ever college cup. How is everything? I hope your family is uh, healthy and safe, and I hope you are healthy and safe as well. Um, how are you doing? Pretty good. Finally back in Jersey. I've been gone for so long. Nice. Right. How was it out there on the West Coast? Hot. Super hot. But beautiful. The Utah's awesome. Um, it was, you know, we didn't really get to do much. We were, like, in the bubble or whatever. So, like, like <laughs> and then we went back to the hotel. So... So how was life in the bubble? You know, the food was terrible, but other than that, I mean, I feel like as professional athletes, like, you're kind of used to the lifestyle, like being on the road and just playing your sport and staying in a hotel, so it was fine. It was fun. How hard was it to, like, train during quarantine? Like, what did you, how were you able to train during it? Like, how what were the challenges that, you know, you faced and everything? So we, we came to training camp for a week and then got sent home and then we were home all of March, all of April, most of June. 
Um, it was really hard because Jersey shut down like all of their turf fields, grass fields. So all the running I was doing was around my neighborhood. I was trying to do soccer skills in my front yard. So I think I was trying to make the most of it, but it wasn't ideal at all. I used to see you always like when, when we were all living in the birch, I used to always see you playing wall ball against the, uh, the birch side. So a lot of that this off season, I assume. A lot of that, you know, doing weights in my front yard. My neighbors were staring at me. I was like, now were you in a, were you in Mount Laurel? Yeah. So I went home to Mount Laurel just because I was like, I might as well be with my family. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, of course, easier home being home, but yeah. Now, in terms of relocating, is that for work? Is that for Sky Blue? Or is that just, you know, you're on your own, you get to make your own decisions? Right. Um, Sky Blue provides housing. So pretty much 90% of the team, all of us in the same apartment complex, which is awesome. Oh, so it's like you're back in the birch. <laughs> Someone actually was like, I put a story up or something the other day. Someone was like, are you at the birch? I was like, no, not the birch. <laughs> it's funny because, like, uh, talking to a lot of people who – uh, our professional athletes, um, we're, you know, we're at that age now where we have friends that are professional athletes, like in all different leagues and different sports. Um, you know, they say uh, the thing you miss the most is kind of just like uh, living around people and being around people all the time. Because, you know, as a pro athlete, um, you know, you have people from anywhere from age 21 to, you know, 35, 40. So some people have like legit families. So that must be awesome that you guys are, or for the most part, are in the same complex and like can kind of do a lot of things together outside of soccer. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's very similar to college in that aspect where like we'll text our friends and be like, you guys want to hang out? And they're like, yeah, and we'll just walk on across the street and hang out, you know? So it's super cool. Super awesome. And like you said, the age like varies. So like I have friends on the team that are my age, 25, 32. So it's pretty cool. So I know that we've seen, you know, problems with the NBA recently, you know, having, you know, all the, you know, hotels not being well kept and everything. But for the most part, they've kind of kept COVID at a, at a limited uh, number, and they've been pretty good with keeping everything together. How well do you think the NWSL did in terms of keeping everything in a bubble when you got to Utah? I mean, I think they did a great job. We were actually the first – professional sports team to return mm-hmm. yep. you know, they don't want to say that they were saying oh this is back first no we were back first mm-hmm. june 30th um, june 30th exactly they they did an awesome job because we all left the tournament covid free um so i think they're really smart about go to practice you get your meals at the practice facility and then you bring it back to the hotel and you get the hotel as well so no one was out doing anything they weren't supposed to do. So, in terms of like testing, did they test you like as soon as you got to the stadium when you left? How many tests would you, would happen like every single time you got to the stadium? Right. So, we got tested as soon as we arrived in Utah, and then the way testing worked was the day after um, your game, you got tested that next day. So it was pretty much twice a week then because we played every three or four days. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I mean, it's really incredible that, you know, they were able to keep, you know, nobody really getting infected. You know, I know Utah hasn't really had the hotspot that New Jersey has and the East Coast has, but, you know, it's a real testament to them to make sure that all the athletes are safe. So in terms of the location in Utah, um, we see the PLL, Premier Lacrosse League. We're big fans because of, you know, Christian Mazzone, Joe Nardella, Joel Sennenberg, all Rutgers alum. Um, what is it about Zion's Bank Stadium that you think made it an attractive location to have a quarantine tournament for multiple sports leagues? Right. Um, I mean, it, the facility was beautiful. I don't know if you've seen pictures, but it's like you can see a giant mountain in the back. But besides that fact, um, there's multiple fields. So there's like five practice fields. And then there's obviously the stadium where the games are played. And inside the stadium is – um, you know, where you get your food and where you got tested for Corona and everything you need is right there. And they even had living. Um, we luckily got to stay in hotels, but they had living if need be. So everything you needed was right there, which like, I mean, um, we played there and then lacrosse is playing there now. And I think 
honestly, a lot of pro teams should be playing there during this time, at least. How's the altitude up there? I mean, uh, Utah being so close to Colorado, it's similar effect. How'd, uh, how, did, uh, how do you think the girls handled it? So, yeah, the altitude was a struggle at the first. Um, it takes, they said, about a week, a week and a half to get adjusted. So, I mean, we were like, our first practice out there, we were like on a jog and we were like, whoo, cannot breathe. Like, it's like totally different, um, but you definitely get used to it. But at first, it's a struggle for sure. Now, um, what was the, uh, like the ramp up period? So like you're, like you said before, you're, you know, spending all this time, you know, working out in front of the house, neighbors looking at you kind of crazy. Um, and then you jump into, you know, competition. So what was the, when you get there, what was the acclimation period? So we actually came back to Florham Park area, May 27th. Um, and we got about three weeks of training as a team so at first we started first week was small groups so it was just you and your roommates and then it got to like eight or more and then it got to full team so I think we had about two three weeks of full team um which is like not normal usually you have like a month and a half of preseason so we got to do that and then um I mean no one's played a game since last October so the first you know game or two, people were getting the kinks out. But then once you started playing, um, everyone adjusted and was, like, back into the groove. So when you started, what percentage of you do you think you were at? Like, obviously, you know, you didn't have the full preseason. Like, how much of percent could you have been if the season fully started, like you had a full preseason? Like, was everybody, you know, not – I'm sure everybody wasn't where they would be. I know, you know, you can only do so much with, like, all the, all the concerns and everything going on in the world. But how much do you think that this affected just your overall, like, preparation for the event? Right. I think we were about 75%. Um, The thing about soccer is, like, you can run as much as you want, but you'll never be in game shape unless you're playing an actual game. Um, You could be in the best shape of your life, but the actual game fitness is completely different than, like, running fitness on a track or whatnot. So I think that played a factor because we normally get to have scrimmages, and obviously we didn't. So if we had scrimmages in there, I feel like we'd be at that 100%. But other than that, we were, like, better than I thought. Yeah, I think that another thing that with everything going on with social distancing and everybody working out on their own, a lot of, you know, athletes like to be pushed with each other. So you yeah. just going against yourself, there's nothing to simulate going against somebody else. So that whole thing is just, you know, just throws everybody off. Right, exactly. Competition breeds excellence. <laughs> there you go. And I, and I also think um, there is something um, to be said about, like you said, getting game shape, you know, playing football back in the day. It's like, you know, there's a difference between being in shape, being in football shape. Um, I also feel like your body needs to that time to, acclim- to acclimate to the speed and get used to you know, not just going from, you know, zero to 60, you know, so fast. Right, right. I mean, definitely, I think it's a long off season as it is. It's October to March. So, um, I mean, the whole off season, I was like doing my fitness and lifting, but I was also playing soccer with like um, professional girls and professional guys. So that helped a lot. But like, as soon as Corona happened, I feel like that kind of just went away. So like coming back, trying to get that soccer speed back or whatnot was took a couple of weeks. I would say. Oh, you, you were this off season. You were probably kicking everyone's ass in the, <laughs> uh, where you guys play in the, uh, that place over on route one. Right. I forget. Metuchen. The Metuchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, over AP- Metuchen. Yeah. I've seen it all over social media. Yeah. Yeah. AP2T was awesome. Um, they're so great there. They're great for off season training and a bunch of girls in sky blue train there. So it's super fun too. Now let's get into a uh, a touchy subject. Um, now I don't think it's as touchy, um, considering I've experienced it as well. Right. Um, you go up to Utah, or you go out to Utah. Excuse me. Uh, you go out to Utah, and things are going good. Back to soccer, and then boom, ACL pops. Um, what is I guess going through your mind when that happens? Because it can be a scary situation. Totally. Um, I feel like as a soccer player, as an athlete, because this happens in all sports, but soccer specifically happens a lot. 
Um, I don't think I was ever one to think my ACL would be torn. No one thinks that, but I don't think I ever was afraid of that happening. Um, so right when it happened, wasn't that painful? I know everyone's is different. Mine wasn't that painful. Oh, damn. It wasn't that painful. No, no. <laughs> yo, I was I screaming. I was screaming. Really? Yes. Oh, I was, yo, Anthony Chaffee came oh. up to me and he was like, Sean, I have never heard anyone scream so loud in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh man, it was that bad. <laughs> but I've, I've heard some people don't scream and some people, no, some people like, I, don't even know what happens. No. So like I heard a pop, but I was like, maybe it just scared me. I just like went down on the ground and I was like, can I curse on this? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like, I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. Like I just laid there and I was like, okay. Like everyone was trying. I was like, I'm fine. Like I stood up, walked off, did some tests, did some squats. I was like, I'm fine. I, I kept telling myself like, I think it was PCL. I think my knee went out of place. Um, but our media girl got a video, and I guess our trainer watched it and was like, Ooh, that's like textbook ACL. Um, so I didn't want to think it was, but like got my MRI. And the next morning after my ACL, actually, I like got out of bed and I was like, I can't walk right now. And like I felt nauseous. Like I tried to take a step and I felt nauseous. I was like, something's not right um but as soon as I got the MRI results like I feel like my world kind of just stopped because I've never never had my sport taken away from me mm -hmm. for more than a month I've always been lucky where like I haven't had injuries so I think it was more so a shock factor than anything else that's it's yeah it can be very it can be very shocking and very scary and it's funny you say what's going through your mind at the time because Literally, when I that happened to me, I'm literally going through my mind. I'm literally like, "Yeah, it's my PCL, it's my MCL, it's my it's my meniscus. There's no way it's my ACL." Mm -hmm. And you you literally like play games with yourself, and then like you uh, once you get the news, you're like kind of devastated. But I found that like once you kind of like accept it, that's where you can kind of move on and start getting back to the road to recovery. Totally, and like. I keep telling myself that, like, if there was a time, obviously it's never a time to do it, but if there was a time to do it, it's now because I'm really not missing much of a season. We, like, I missed, you know, half of the tournament, but other than that, we start back up in March, which is, like, March is eight months from now. So I'm like, I should be good by then. Yeah, and now knowing your history, um, going back to Rutgers, I remember, what was it, I think it was – my senior year, fall of 2017, you had a little bit of a scare, right? Um, was that the same knee or was it a different knee? Same was knee. So it was quarterfinals of Big Ten. Um, I sprained my MCL, but I also sprained my ACL. So um, I wasn't out that long, though. I came back for the second round at several A's. Um, but, yeah, that, like, made me think, like, that play a factor into this who knows but yeah and acl is like it's the kind of thing where like you know it can happen to anybody at any time and, and no matter how good of shape you're in no matter how strong your hips are no matter how you know balanced you are it can happen through contact and through non-contact um one thing i did notice though was um you weren't the only one in the league that tore their acl i mean now, statistically and scientifically, women are more prone to ACL tears. Um, so this could have happened anyway. But how much of it is a combination between, like, you know, the quarantine and not having that game speed and, you know, this just happens? Yeah, I mean, I think there ended up being four ACLs, three meniscus or something. Um, yeah, I think the quarantine definitely played a factor where – you know, you, you're not as strong as you usually are because you don't have access to a gym. You're not as fit. Um, and then you're placed into this environment where you have to go 100 miles per hour. Um, you know, the altitude might have played a factor. The nutrition might have played a factor. You know, you never know. But, yeah, I mean, it's super unfortunate that that many people had to tear their ACL during that time. Yeah, and then it's like it's like hindsight 2020, like like – even if like conditions were perfect, like this still could have happened. And it's like, you know, you know, just thinking about it, like, you know, what if this, what if that, that, you know, right now, you know, we can, you know, it's our job as talking heads to ask the question, but like as somebody who, who went through it, it's like that talking to you as a friend, that doesn't do you any good in terms of where do you go from here? How do you come back better? 
Right. There was an Instagram page called Scarred Together. Oh, first of all, it sucks that you have to go through it at all, that any of you guys have to go through it at all. But how comforting is it that, you know, you have people that are kind of sharing the struggle and you can struggle together and get through it with together? Yeah, it's very awesome. Um, I, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, um, a girl my own, on my team, she tore her ACL about a month prior to me. So she's been awesome in this process, like helping me. Um, we're actually going to, I'm going to the same surgeon as her. Um, but it's cool that, you know, you have five girls in the NWSL league that, you know, unfortunately we tore ACL, but we can share with not only each other, but young athletes of like our journey and how all ACL journeys are different is what I'm learning is that you can't compare yourself to somebody. Like you can't be like, Oh, this girl was off crutches at two weeks. Um, I'm reaching two weeks. Like I'll be off crutches. I think this page will show that everyone's journey is different and, you know, to stay, stay focused during your path um, to recovery pretty much. Right. And it's like, I'll give you a quick, you know, ACL story with me, you know, that year I tore my ACL, we had four guys tear ACL on our, our team yeah. and I tore mine in October. They tore theirs in January, February. Yeah. And, you know, people are saying to me like, yo, like they tore theirs like way more, or excuse me, they tore theirs like way after you, like, and they're doing this and you're not like, what the hell? Like, are you slacking in your rehab? And I'm like, listen, buddy, chill out. <laughs> I am working just as hard as the next guy. It is ever, like you said, everyone goes through their own journey and everyone goes at their own speed. And, and, uh, it's not a one size fits all kind of injury. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, like you said, my trainer even said to me, like, people are going to say dumb stuff to you when it comes to your ACL. Like people are, are, just if they haven't gone through it they can't say anything about it you know like you don't know the process you don't know what we're going through mentally so um you know I've had people be like yeah like did you ever think like this was gonna happen to you like I was like no like no I never thought this was gonna happen (laughs) yeah because Kenny just thinks about her Kenny just thinks every day oh I'm gonna tear my ACL one day like no people people don't think about Think, people no. don't think like that. No, not at all. Like, if you're thinking like that, we have some bigger issues for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, um, now you're getting a surgery in, uh, I want to say, HSS is what you said, right? Yeah, HSS. They've got some great people over there. Um, yeah. What is your, uh, what's your plan of attack for, uh, for rehab? Are you doing it down in Mount Laurel? Or are you going to do it in a Florham Park area? So... First two weeks, I'll do it in Mount Laurel um, just because, like, I won't be able to drive. So it will be easy just to have my parents drive me and whatnot. But then after that, I'm going to come back to Florham Park. I'm going to do PT um, with my P- the Sky Blue PT. Um, it'll be super convenient. So it'll be, like, one-on-one. Not like I'll have to go to um facility or anything. So it'll be all my time, which is super awesome. Um, yeah. Right. And that relationship with that trainer or that PT is so important. Exactly. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Because like, it's like, okay. Um, it's like, okay. Like you got it. They know when to push you a little bit when you're like mentally like, Oh, I don't know. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. Totally. When they're like, you can trust it. You can trust it. And then they know to push back when you're like, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, eager and excited to get this process started i feel like i mean it's been almost a month since i've torn it so i'm like all right let's get this ball rolling come on now right now now knowing what i know about you so like this isn't up for debate so i'm not even gonna like bother asking like why can you come back stronger because i think the question is like why will you come back stronger because the can you write that i know is an absolute baller <laughs> and you're gonna come out of this as a better version of yourself, but for the people listening, like, why will that happen? Like, what is it about you? I mean, I feel like since I was young, I've always had this competitive drive in me. Um, both my parents were division one athletes. So I think that has always just been stemmed in my family of like, everything you do, you're going to do with a hundred percent. So with this recovery, it's no different. Um, I'm going to, 
go to PT every day and just give it my all. Like I'm never going to go to PT and half-ass it. Like it, I will give it 100%. Um, and I'm almost like really excited to like, you know, do this and like come out of it mentally and physically stronger. Now, before we switch topics, are you, uh, what kind of graft are you doing? The patella tendon one. Oh, that's a good choice. It's, it's the most painful at first. I had that. Um, now obviously everyone's different. Like if you're like, I had a core surgery before it, so I didn't want to go hamstring. Um, so everyone now some people you know if they have uh you know knee issues they'll go hamstrings like you said everyone's different um they do say though for professional athletes long term i'm not a doctor this is just what people yeah. who i've talked to say they say that patellar tendon is kind of like the closest one to an actual normal acl right and um yeah my surgeon actually he his personal personal preference is just the patellar tendon and he refuses to do anything else. So he's like, if you want to do hamstring, you're, you would have to find a different surgeon. Oh, so that's good. That means that he yeah. knows what he's like looking for and he knows what totally. he's doing like to a T like that's his specialty. Yeah. And he works with a bunch of, he works with the Red Bulls. Um, he works with, who else does he work with? The Nets. So a bunch of New York uh, sports teams, which is awesome. So I'm going to switch topics right now. I know that we talked about this. Um, the NWSL was the first sports league back. Um, you know, nobody really acknowledges it that much. You know, they think of the MLS or other sports league before that. Um, and also over the past year, there's been a bunch of debate. With the, U the U.S. women's national team not getting paid as much as the U.S. men's national team. Um, how do we get to the point where women's athletes are recognized for everything that they do a little bit more? I know that's a big issue going on right now in the world. So what yeah. can we do for the average sports fans? I know that you guys were the first sports league back. I obviously followed you guys. But, there we go. but what can the average sports fan do to get people more involved in women's sports and more, you know, involved in everything? Right. I mean, the average person, I feel like as simple as just watching, you know, mm -hmm. turn on the WNBA, turn on the NWSL, turn on female sports. Um, I think like news broadcasters and whatnot, um, they need to put the games on TV. That's one of the biggest problems is like, obviously I can tell you guys, watch our games, watch our games, but if it's not on TV, you're not going to watch it. So I think we really need to get more games available for the average sports fan to watch. Right. And there's evidence that that content will be watched. I mean, the women's soccer, uh, women's national team, uh, game in 2019 um, was one of the highest, uh, you know, sporting soccer or was one of the highest watched events in the history of the sport. Totally, exactly. Like if you put it on TV, people will watch. As simple as that. Do you think that, for example, uh, Sky Blue, they go from Yersac Field to um, the Red Bull Stadium? Do you think that um, the people who own those facilities giving easier access to facilities like that to teams such as um, Sky Blue, do you think that is also a step in the right direction? Because, listen, your sack field is a great field. We love it yeah. as Rutgers fans. But it's not the first thing you think about when you think of a professional soccer team. So, and there's evidence in that when you see that, you know, the average um, number of fans that go to a Sky Blue game at your sack field is 3,000, and then you put them in – Red Bulls Arena right next to the mecca of, you know, media in New York right. City. Um, right. You know, it goes from 3,000 to, yeah, two games there. The first game was over 9,000, and then the second yeah. game was over 8,000. I think it averaged, like, almost, you know, eight and some change. I mean, I was at, a, I was at Indianapolis at the um, NFL Combine, and we had a sports convention, and there were all these people talking in sports business, and they were like, Things such as ticket sales are your main source of of, um, of of revenue, and that's how you grow. So, is is that kind of something that helps the sport? Yeah, I mean, for sure. You look at, like you said, your sack, great college field, love it. But for a professional team to play there, it doesn't feel like a professional environment. I mean, people are going to go, and they don't. They just look like they're at a college game. When people go to a sporting event, they want to feel like they're at a professional sporting event. They want the concession stands. They want 
full, you know, stadium all, all around. Mm -hmm. So I think us moving to Red Bull Arena was awesome, a huge step in the right direction. Like, even if people aren't soccer fans, they say, hey, like, there's a soccer game this Sunday that's only 20 minutes from me. Let's just go as, like, an outing, a social event. Um, I don't think it would be more so a social event if it's at your Zach Field, you know. Right, and you look at, like, for example, we're huge lacrosse fans. We went to the PLL at Red Bull. There were three games, and I think the total for that three games was just over 10,000. Yeah. Um, so you look at the two games at your sack, it blows it away. So the pot, and that's no disrespectful to, I mean that, and that's no disrespect to the league and that's no disrespect to the league. Just right. soccer is a global sport. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's men's or women's. Right. Exactly. But like, it's the same sport. Um, that's where I think like, I mean, you look at football, for example, like there is no female football league. Like I think soccer is unique because it's like the soccer is unique because it's like the male game and the female game is the same. It's the same exact sport, same mm-hmm. rules, you know. Um, so I think if you watch the MLS, why are you not watching the NWSL? You know. Right, and I think at the the level, like the the lower levels and the higher levels, there needs to be more exposure because you look at the broadcast percentages. Right. I mean, like when you, for example, you look at men's and women's lacrosse, there's 50 ESPN games broadcasted and there's like 10 women's games. Right. And when you look at soccer, it's the same sort of ratio mm-hmm. at all across all levels. Okay. So it's like people just gotta, I feel like people just have to see that. Yeah. And, and with, and with that exposure comes more investors and investing in the leagues and building it up and, and, and uh, getting more girls at the youth level to be like, Hey, like I can be a professional women's soccer player. Like when I grow up and pursue that. And I think right now the comparison, I've mentioned lacrosse a lot, but the comparison I would make to the state of um, pro women's soccer would be the same state that pro men's lacrosse is in where you have these, these like otherworldly awesome athletes mm-hmm. who put in the same hours as all the major sports leagues and are just as athletic, but they have to do things such as, you know, be a lawyer or um, be uh, or, or be a coach on the side and they can't get the best versions of themselves because they're not putting a hundred percent into it. They got one foot in one foot out. Right. I mean, yeah, you said it exactly right. Um, we don't, we don't get paid enough, not nearly enough. Um, a lot of people have second jobs. I have to coach on the side to, you know, to be able to make a substantial amount. Um, it's a shame because, you know, we've reached the pinnacle of our, our sport. And you think that like, okay, this is my job as a professional athlete. Like when we retire, you, you have to find another job, like an actual job, like, Whereas these other sports, you know, MLS players, MLB, NFL, all of them, when they retire, they're done. They're set. They're good. They're going to have three vacation homes and whatnot. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, it's, but, like, it's, it's stupid money. <laughs> yes, yeah, stupid money. But for us, it's like we retire. We're mentally, physically exhausted. We got to find a completely new job. Right. And sports like uh, sports can like, I don't know if this is the right term to say, but like sports can take a lot out of you and you know I was gonna exaggerate and say they take years off their your life but that's not I don't know if that's accurate but but uh you know it can it can take a lot out of you yeah for sure I think that probably the next step I mean is probably getting a tv deal like obviously I followed like sky blue and everything but I think somehow women's soccer needs to find a tv deal to get more exposure to everybody I'm not sure how that happens but that's I think is the next best logical step because as Alex was saying, you get fan attendance. People are going to these games. Naturally, they're going to watch the games on TV. I don't necessarily yeah. know how they're going to get a TV deal, but they need to get a TV deal with the network, and the network should give them one. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think the future is bright. I mean, you look at the new team coming in L.A., right, with uh, all the celebrities uh, becoming investors and, and um, L.A. being a major market. And, um, I mean, there's top executives from major companies in that group. I mean, I think the W. Uh, excuse me, NWSL is, um, it's, it's only going to get better potentially. 
oh yeah, it's it's definitely moving in the right direction. And even with this um, LA team being brought in in 2022, um, and you have these famous actresses and you know famous athletes all being part owners, I think it's going to be kind of like a cool trend of like, oh, like they own a women's soccer team. Like I want to be part of that. Um, so I think it definitely is moving in the right direction. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. I think honestly, it's just about getting the average sports fan onto it because, you know, just, I know we keep making the comparison to pro lacrosse, but with the premier lacrosse league, they have a new TV deal with NBC sports and their the game is more visible to everybody worldwide. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, I think that there's going to be exponential growth and I want it to happen. I want everybody in sports to succeed. I think every, you know, pro athlete special. Like everybody yeah. needs their place. Yeah, I agree. Right, and that's that's going to be cool. That's going to be cool to see. So hopefully, hopefully it blows up. And Kenny, we are hoping that um, you know you crush it with uh, with in pro women's sports. Now, mm-hmm. let's um, let's shift to your Rutgers experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about growing up in New Jersey, and uh, you know, and let's talk about growing up in New Jersey and going to Rutgers. Um, was Rutgers um, always a school that you had interest in or, or were you kind of, you know, I have no idea where I want to go to school. Like a lot of us. Um, you know what, when I was young, young, I, the cool trend was, you know, to want to go to UNC. Mm -hmm. So I think when everyone says that, Oh my God, everyone says that. (laughs) I know because they won like ridiculous amount of times in a row. They won like 15 national championships or something crazy. Not just for not just for soccer though. People say that in lacrosse all the time. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes. I was listening to Jules the other day. He's like, "Oh, I want to go to Carolina," but they didn't yeah. want me. Yeah. I mean, to- I mean, Tobin Heath, uh, Basking Ridge, right by right by me. She went to North Carolina, so yeah. I mean, it was one of those powers. So. Yeah. So I mean, that was when I was young. Um, when I went to high school, um, you know people like Tori Prager who went to my high school. Oh, mm-hmm. baller. Oh, shout out to Tori, by the way, just got married. If she ever listens to this, uh, Tori shout Prager. out. Yeah. Chad and Tori, congratulations. There you go. Tori Prager and, um, you know, Courtney Norton, they both went to my high school and then they went to Rutgers. So I was like, okay. And a lot of South Jersey people too. Um, you know, Madison Tiernan, Aaron Smith, they were South Jersey soccer players and they went to Rutgers. So I was like, all right, like we're building something here. Um, so my club coaches actually were the Rutgers coaches. So um, Meg Ryan, she was my head coach of my PDA team and Mike O'Neill was the assistant. And then Mike O'Neill was the head and Meg's the assistant at Rutgers. So it kind of worked out where like, I mean, I played for them four years prior to college. Oh, wow. So that's a sense of a big sense of comfort. Um, but did you entertain anywhere else? Like did you go on any, any visits anywhere else or no? Uh, no. I, because of my age, um, I am like young for my grade. So I was on a younger team. So I wasn't really exposed that much. It was towards the end. I did go on a bunch of visits, but towards the end, it was between Villanova and Rutgers. Oh, of course. Villanova just comes in and steals all our guys. Yeah. (laughs) You have no idea how much that pisses me off. Like you literally look at their first midfield in lacrosse and it's all top New Jersey kids. Jersey kids. And you know what? I went on a visit to Villanova, and I was just like, not for me. It was kind of a preppy vibe, and that is not me at all. So Villanova. Yeah, Villanova. Yeah, exactly. But I'm definitely so blessed and so happy on Rutgers for sure. Did um did players like uh, Carly Lloyd and Christy Rampone who went to Rutgers did that like influence your decision at all? Being like, you know, these are like you know top top you know soccer players if I go to the in-state university I'll be able to get to that level at some point you know yeah definitely I like I think seeing Carly like going to Rutgers and then making it big time was something that I was like okay this if you go to Rutgers you can succeed um I remember vividly going to a college I'm not gonna say what college it was but I remember the coach being like yeah like we're never gonna win a championship here but like you know, oh my like, god you could not yeah. tell kenny right that yeah the most like, competitive like person like in america you cannot yeah. recruiting 101 know your so, audience and i remember walking out of there and i was like dad i am not going here um and then i go to Rutgers, and then my freshman year we make it to the final four i'm like all right this is fun you know no, we, were, we were watching by the way we, we, we were like we were all going nuts i remember college that. cup yeah 
that was crazy, crazy. Now, in terms of, um, you know, the Rutgers, um, you know, women's soccer, in terms of the Rutgers women's soccer culture, like, mm-hmm. Just like knowing you guys and, and seeing you guys from afar, you guys are a powerhouse program, like nationally. Um, but you look at the roster, and it's like it is an example for all Rutgers teams. I mean, the core of the team is always New Jersey and the state of Rutgers. So what we call the state of Rutgers is everything that touches New Jersey and New Jersey. So we're talking New York, Long Island, uh, Pennsylvania, so that's the state of Rutgers. When you win the state of Rutgers, you're going to have a pretty damn good team every single year. And looking at your guys' roster, it is a lot of girls from New Jersey, um, New York, Pennsylvania. The core is New Jersey, which is the most important part. And then you supplement with you know people from all over the country. Um, why is that a model for all programs at the university? I mean, the state of New Jersey in general – it has amazing athletes in every single sport. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we can all agree on that. Like, it's crazy. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't want to stay home and represent your state. I think that is so much pride. You have more, like, you put a little more, like, umph behind you when you're playing for your state. Like, if you're from New Jersey and you go to, let's say, South Carolina and you play for, you know, one of the teams out there, what are you really playing for? Like, yeah, your school, but like, I think if you stay in Jersey and you're playing for Rutgers, it's like so, so much pride in that, um, that like, I don't know why an athlete wouldn't want to do that. I felt that like coming back to Rutgers from Syracuse. I mean, the Jersey guys or girls are the people who are like, listen, we're Jersey. This is how it's done. This is what we do. Like you're not from Jersey, but you, you, you're in this locker room now. Like yeah. you're one of us. And then they start taking pride in it. And yeah. it's just this infectious, like awesome energy that just like drives you to, you know, a lot of success. Yeah. I mean, it's that Jersey strong mentality. I think it's just like very like gritty for sure. And, yeah. And what a lot of people don't know is that Rutgers is like, it's so close to everything. I mean, it's a like an hour train ride. I'm not even like 55, 55 minute train ride from New York city, like an hour ride from Philadelphia. Like right. the, the surrounding area is pretty awesome. Um, it's funny because when I was at Syracuse, we would take recruits from like Florida to like our recruiting, um, like dinners and stuff. And there would be like a little, like an ice sculpture of like New York city skyline and they'd get to campus and they'd be like, yo, like, let's go to New York tonight. And I'm like, uh, buddy, that's five hours that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so I'm going to, I want to go back to back to your freshman year real quick. Um, you know, you started the last 11 games, your freshman year, um, after coming off the bench, how was that roller coaster ride that led the team into the final four? Like, how did you, you know, you came off the bench, you know, you're just a freshman, you worked your way up. How was that feeling to eventually be a starter on a final four team? Yeah, I think, um, it's, I think I take more pride in the fact that I didn't start in the beginning and then became a starter. I think if I would have started game one, I would have been like, what did I prove? I, know, I just came in as a freshman, so I didn't ever expect to start right away. Um, so every game that I came in off the bench, I was like, I'm going to be that super sub that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a little bit, um, be a game changer and whatnot. So I think as soon as I earned the starting spot, I was like – okay, like I earned the starting spot. Now I need to just keep climbing the ladder. Um, but I mean, you had, I had such awesome teammates, um, such awesome upperclassmen like Bran Reed, Erica Skrowski, um, Haley Kukowski, so many awesome, amazing people and players that like you looked at our, if you looked at our roster, you was like, these girls are good. Like they're gonna make it to the final four. Ballers. Um, ballers. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I think once we realized how good we were, we kind of ran with it. Like we kind of had that cocky, confident vibe going with us. How cool is it to finally get over the hump of UVA? Oh my gosh. You know, I remember that was really awesome for the seniors because for them personally, they played them like three years prior and they lost every time. And then when they finally beat them, I think they were like, Finally, like finally was our time. 
Yeah, yeah no, it's an incredible feeling. Um, I'm sure that, you know, even though you guys didn't end up winning that year, just getting to the final four, I know in the moment it must have sucked losing, but looking back on it now, you're like, I've never gotten that far. I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again, but just saying that I made it to a final four and anything is incredible. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, it was a disappointment not winning at all, but like you said, making to a final four, even having that final four ring that I'll have forever is just like such an awesome thing. Like I even stepped back, like even, you know, we didn't even make it to the NCAA tournament. I was just but, about to say that. Oh, but, my God. Uh, but but just but just us making it to the Big Ten tournament one year, I always remember that. Even though we didn't make it to like the highest level, the farthest that we got, I always look back on it and be like, wow, we actually did some good stuff that year. It's hard yeah, in the moment, guys, but, you know, you guys it gets got better. screwed over, man. Year after year, you guys got screwed over not making the NCAAs. Yeah, well – we uh we didn't pay off the committee, like uh, some, like some people down at Hopkins probably did. But uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, Dustwood Field, right, right? Dustwood, baby, Dustwood. Yeah. Now, um, what is it? I wanted to ask you something else. It was about uh. Huh. Oh, oh, I figured it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Okay, okay. Freaking so out. describe your relationship, I guess, with your teammates in high school and then when you really got to know them in college, like like the Jersey girls that you competed against and, and maybe you uh maybe you didn't like at first <laughs> Colby <laughs> Colby Shiraka <laughs> and then became like one of your best friends. I mean, personally, like playing in New Jersey, like I hated like so many kids who I ended up being best friends with, like in high school. You know, it's so funny because her senior year, you're playing in the semifinals of um, states. And over time, she scores the game winner, but she was totally off sides. And I, and like, even like now, I'll, I'll tell her, I'm like, you're off sides. She admits it now, but <laughs> at the time, she was like, no, no, no. But yeah, I mean, it's really cool that like you go from like these girls that you know, you know of. Um, and they were like your enemies in high school and whatnot. And then you go and play with them. And I think it's just so cool that you get to become friends with them and, you know, are now teammates with them. And you're like, all right, you can score these offside goals now for us, not yeah. against us, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, oh my God. So I guess, um, what's, um, what's next for you, um, uh, besides surgery, what is next for Kenny Wright in the next 10 years? Like, where do you see yourself? You know, I'm definitely going to play as long as, um, you know, my body allows me to, like, as long as I'm mentally in it still um, and whatnot. But other than that, I mean, I coach youth soccer, which I love. Um, I coach eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds. Um, so it's, I really do have a passion for coaching. So I think whenever I do decide to retire, I think maybe I'll try to get into college coaching or whatnot. Um like that'd be something I'd definitely be interested. Definitely I'm going to stay with soccer in some aspect for sure. Well, I think you'd be a tremendous coach and, you. Um, you know, I wouldn't start your plans uh, for life after soccer just yet because yeah. I see a lot of bright things coming in your future. I, I also see some red, white, and blue in your future. Oh, thanks, Sean. I got, I got two last questions, just, you know, typical New Jersey Rutgers questions, two yeah. rapid fires. Okay. All right, so Taylor Hammer pork roll. Pork roll. <laughs> <laughs> Next. And then my last one is: uh, Does Central Jersey exist? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm so confused why people don't think it exists. What yeah, I know. I didn't think it existed. Really? I, mean, I don't know. I think it's really dumb that whole argument. Like, clearly, there's a center of the state. Like, you know, there's clearly a central yeah. part of New Jersey. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> Well, hey, listen, Kenny, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Honestly, this has been one of my favorite interviews. Mm -hmm. Honestly. Oh, what an honor. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it was great catching up, too. Haven't seen you in a while. I've, yeah, I'm absolutely. Sure when everything gets back on campus, I'm sure, you know, great good alumni days for everything. Oh, yeah, you, you for sure will see me there. Yeah. Hey, I have, I've promised all our guests uh, free drinks um, when we get back to campus oh, at some perfect. point. So, so, for that. so let, let us know. We'll, we'll hook you up. And uh, Kenny, 
Uh, really appreciate you. Stay you because you're a special person. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Have hey, you made it to the end, or I'm just talking to myself and Ryan. You stay classy, Piscataway. Down, try to keep me down, but I'll put the flame out. You can't get to me. Throw your sticks and your stones, go break all of my bones. You won't ache my soul. You can't get to me. And there is no listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube